Our scripture reading this morning comes from the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And verses 10 through 17. And we are uh, continuing a series we started last week on walking with Jesus. And remember, Jesus and his disciples are walking from Galilee to Jerusalem uh, for the Festover, uh, the Passover festival. And, um, uh, and so this uh, chunk of the Gospel of Luke follows Jesus and his disciples as they walk from village to village on their way to Jerusalem. And it's about all the people that he meets along the way. And so this morning we pick up with Jesus. Uh, he is a visiting guest speaker at a, um, at a synagogue service, and he meets a crippled woman. So hear now the word of our Lord, Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and she praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come back and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. It's the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of this Holy Spirit. Amen. You ever read a story um, Maybe in the newspaper, or um, or maybe you're scrolling through your uh, news feed online, and you read a story, and it just makes your blood boil. I had one of these. Um, I, I think it was about 2011, something like that. Uh, it was uh, it was after Easter time, and I read this story that just made my blood boil. It was about this uh, 12-year-old kid named Jackson. And um, Jackson got up with his family um, on Easter morning to go attend worship at a, uh, a church called Elevation. Now, Elevation is one of these uh, like big, huge, multi-site, you know, thousands of member kind of churches. And um, and so uh, this kid was going um, uh, to the main hub there in Charlotte, uh, Elevation Worship for their um, Easter service. So he gets up, he gets himself dressed, and that takes considerable work for him because 
he has cerebral palsy. And he, he's uh, one of those kids that has it to the point that they're almost kind of strapped in to the wheelchair a little bit because of involuntary spasms and things like that. And so they're at this worship service and it's, you know, laser lights and smoke and words on the screen, the whole bit. And it's kind of this concert kind of atmosphere. And they're doing the opening prayer and 12-year-old Jackson gets excited and the mother says, he gives this amen in his own way. Um, and so the, uh, the, the, the kid is shouting out loud in a way that's hard to understand. Well, um, a staff member there at that church um, immediately comes up to the mother and the child and escorts them out of the sanctuary to an overflow area because he was being a distraction. He was disrupting the worship service. I'll tell you, I read that and my blood boiled, right? You ever get like that and you want to write a letter to somebody, but you're not sure who you're supposed to write a letter to, but you're, you want to do something? My blood boiled. How dare they? I tell you that story because I want to get something um, right off the bat. I want us to understand something. What happened at the synagogue this morning, you know, 2,000 years ago when Jesus uh, was, was the guest speaker is the same sort of thing that could happen in our congregation today. See, when we read um, about this, uh, this, uh, this, this commotion in the synagogue, it's easy to look at it and think it really doesn't have much to do with us. After all, we, we hear synagogue and we think of like a, a, a Jewish worship space, and it's a debate about the, uh, the finer points of Sabbath law, and, and it almost feels like reading this passage like we're sort of eavesdropping on another family squabble. It doesn't really have to do with us Christians. And so I point out this, uh, this, this thing about Elevation Church, not to trash Elevation Church. You know, it was it, you know, almost a decade ago now, and I'm sure they've learned and grown from that one incident. But just to point out that the same things can happen in our congregation. In fact, the word synagogue in the Greek, synagogos, um, just means assembly or congregation. And I find it interesting that, um, that, that Luke doesn't say that this, uh, this happened at, uh, he doesn't give us the town. But so often in the Gospels, they say this happened at a wedding at Cana, or this happened in uh, Bethsaida, or, or, or Capernaum, right? But, but Luke doesn't give us a town this morning. He doesn't say this happened at first Hebrew worship center in Jericho. He just says at one of the congregations Jesus was speaking. And I think, G I think Luke is almost making the point to us it, this could happen in any congregation anywhere. 
This could happen in our congregation. See, Jesus has been invited to speak. He's the guest speaker that morning, and everything's going smoothly. He's telling his parables, and then he's looking out, and he notices a, a, a woman who, who, uh, who is crippled. She's not been able to stand straight for 18 years. She's been stooping. And Jesus is moved with compassion, and, and, and he, he calls her forward. And he places his hands on her, and she's healed. And she stands up straight for the first time in 18 years. Can you imagine what that scene was like? I, I just imagine like the people that, that, that know this lady, she's probably a dear saint of this congregation, right? The people that know this lady are, are probably uh, clapping and, and, and yelling and whistling. And, and then there are probably other people that, you know, they got stuff wrong with them too. Uh, my spine doesn't feel so good. Jesus, could you fix me? And so there's probably a line that's starting to form. Everyone's having a good time. Everyone's a healing service is broken out. This is amazing. But there's one guy in the back who's not having it. This is the synagogue leader. Um, Every uh, synagogues in the ancient world were sort of uh, run by the town that they were in. Um, all what we would say is is uh, is lay led, the laity led it, and um, and so uh, so each town would uh, choose one person to sort of be in charge of the synagogues, the synagogue president, and um, and this was the synagogue leader, and the synagogue's leader, his job was to um, make sure all the candles were lit, um, all the supplies that were needed for worship. They would line up the guest speakers to, uh, to speak. Most synagogues didn't have like a resident rabbi. They had guest speakers that would come through. Um, and, and their job was just kind of make sure everything was going straight and, and all the trains were running on time. Now I say this because... This synagogue leader here, this is not um, like a Pharisee or a Hager. In fact, this is the person that more than likely invited Jesus to speak because that was his job. He had to uh, line up someone to speak at the synagogue this Saturday, and he heard this uh, Jewish rabbi named Jesus was going to be in town, and uh, everyone was talking about him and wanted to know what he was all about. And so this synagogue leader gave him a platform. This, this is someone who is truly interested in what Jesus has to say. This is just not one of those hagers that's sitting in the back just trying to trap Jesus. But we're told that he's indignant. Why? What's happening that's upsetting him? The reason we're giving is because Sabbath law is broken, but I don't think it's that or it's just that. I've discovered in church work, the, you know, the biblical reason people give you for why they're upset is, is seldom really why they're actually upset. Having been on a church staff before and now uh, as a pastor, I've learned that 
when you're in charge of the worship service, often it's hard for you to worship, especially in, in a bigger church where there's, there's choirs and, and, and speakers and a lot of moving part. And you're just, uh, and your, your job is to keep everyone on task and to keep things uh, going smoothly. And sometimes it's hard to just give yourself over to the moment. Now, you can be having that, that prayer time, the, the pass the mic, and someone could stand up and give just this heartfelt 10-minute testimony. And everyone in the congregation is really into it and, and um, is being really inspired by it. Um, but the guy singing in that chair is like, is like sitting there, um, okay, we're going to have to take out um, uh, two verses of, of Just As I Am, and I'm going to have to take out this point from my sermon, right? You're just like in your head trying to make it all work out. And, and that's where, where this synagogue leader is, you know? His job is to make sure um, uh, church, uh, uh, synagogue gets out on time, no one's brisket burns. Everyone gets uh, gets back to have have their meal, and uh, in here, the service is suddenly taking a wild left turn, and Jesus has stopped uh, preaching in his allotted time slot, and now a healing service is breaking out, and so suddenly the synagogue leader has to try and restore some order on the situation. So he stands up and he says. Hey guys, um, you know, this is really great. Um, we all feel really great about Sister Martha being able to stand up straight now. Uh, thank you, Jesus, so much. But from here on out, we're going to do this kind of thing on weekdays. That's not really what, what the Sabbath day is about. The Sabbath day is about praying and reading our Bible. And, uh, and so we're just going to keep God the focus on, on Sabbath day and, and, and just... Do, do this other times, right? He's trying to get control of the situation so we can all get out on time. Good thing we never do that in our churches, in our congregations, right? Good thing we never uh, prize keeping order over showing kindness. We never prize... Um, uh, uh, gigging out on time over a little Holy Spirit spontaneity. Good thing that never happens in a Methodist church, right? In fact, I, I kind of giggled when I was reading this this week because uh, the, the synagogue leader, his title um, literally in Greek is arch synagogos. Which he's, he's the arch assembly person, the arch congregant. He's the chief churchgoer. Doesn't every congregation have a chief churchgoer? It's not the pastor. Probably not um, the person who has like the label lay leader, right? But like this is the person everyone knows really in charge, right? The chief churchgoer. And a, a lot of churches had a chief churchgoer, and now they don't know what to do without the chief churchgoer because churches kind of need that 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 soul and that heart, that, that, that matriarch or patriarch that everyone that kind of looks to for leadership day in and day out. But I've known some teach, chief churchgoers that are a little drunk with power. Um, I know in the church I came from, 
Our chief churchgoer was, she's famous for her laminated signs. You know, she, uh, every time there's a new rule that needs to be imposed to, to keep order on the situation, there's another laminated sign hanging up somewhere. Our kitchen was chocked. Every like cabinet had a laminated sign on this. It's like, take one, put it back, uh, don't do this, do that. I, I always got such a kick, you know, um, working there. I would go in and make my pot of coffee, and I'd look at all the laminated signs, and I always took special pride in the laminated signs that were there because of something I did, you know? <laughs> like I'd look at the one about don't pour your uh, coffee grounds into the sink and it'll clog up the sink, and I'm just like, that's me. I did that. <sighs> Made my mark. Uh, my favorite laminated sign in the church was the one on the refrigerator door that said, make sure you close the refrigerator door. And here's why. If the refrigerator door is open, you can't see the sign. <laughs> the refrigerator door has to be closed to read the sign that says, make sure you close the refrigerator door. Now, there aren't a lot of laminated signs hanging up around here. Um, but every church has its rules. And every church loves its rules. And every church has a certain order. We do things and we better do it that way or... or uh, or grandma would roll over in her grave if she knew we weren't doing it this way. And those signs may as well be laminated because we all know what they are. Every church has them. That's well and good as long as they don't get in the way of keeping the main thing the main thing. As long as they don't get in the way of us serving the lost and the least in our congregations. As long as those laminated signs don't become a, a, a barrier between us and the rest of the world. We belong to a church in North Carolina, Rocky Mount, North Carolina. And Rocky Mount um, is a place that has, in the past, had kind of a crime problem. And, uh, and, and this church used to have a, uh, a food pantry, and anyone could come uh, out of the neighborhood off the street, and um, if, if they were struggling, um, they, you know, they could take a bag and they could fill it up at the food pantry. Uh, this was decades ago. They, um, they, they stopped doing that. In, in the mid-'90s, there was a secretary at uh, another church in town, um, who, who was killed by someone who had come in off the street. And so the church sort of reacting to this said, what are we going to do to keep our, our staff safe? Nowadays, when you go to the church, there is a, um, a, a security camera at just about every corner so that the secretary can see just every angle what's going on at that church. Um, uh, all the doors during the week on the outside are locked except for one. There's, uh, there's a door that I always call the door to the Emerald City because it's like you have to show your ruby slippers to get in. There's this one door that you could, um, you could go and you could press the button on the intercom and state your business and then the, uh, the, the church secretary would let you in. 
And a while ago, the church had decided we're not going to have a food pantry anymore. That's too dangerous. So what we're going to do is we're going to donate so much every month to a local charity. And there was a laminated sign on that door that said, you know, here's the address, here's the phone number of, um, of the, the local charity. If you need assistance, see them. Now, I am sure that this did not happen overnight. I'm sure it was a, it is a slow drift, one rural at a time, one meeting at a time, one, one laminated sign at a time. Right? It was first the cameras and then this and then this. But slowly but surely this church drifted away from the message that had, it had once sent. And, 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 now, and now they wonder, you know, why people from the neighborhood won't join us on Sunday mornings when the whole rest of the week is a big laminated sign on the front door that says, you are not welcome here, call someone who cares. It's a shame, isn't it? a shame when we let our rules replace who we are called to be in the world. We let our laminated signs come between us and the people that we are called to serve. So the chief congregant, uh, he gives this new rule and um, Jesus, God bless him, He's just not polite. Jesus, in, 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 in the Gospels, he's a lot of things, but we just, he's just not polite. He just doesn't care about stepping on toes, right? Um, I am terminally polite, right? Uh, like, I, the whole, like, college basketball team can cut in front of me in line, and I just, I just stand there. You know, don't make a fuss because I'm just like terminally polite. And so I think about how I would have handled this situation if I were the guest speaker. First of all, if I were the guest speaker, I probably would have said, their church, their rules, um, sorry, won't happen again. Or if I felt like I really had to say something, I would couch it in the most polite terms possible. I would say, hey guys, um... Here's the thing. I know that normally our rules say that we're not supposed to exert ourselves on the Sabbath and like putting your hands like this and saying you're healed. That's a lot of work. Okay. I get it. But don't you think just this one time for Sister Martha, who's been hunched over for 18 years, don't you think just this one time that, that we ought to make just a, a li- carve out a little exception? Can I just do this one? And, and, and then, then you don't have to worry about it happening ever again. I think, I think God would allow that. We just err on the side of grace just this one time, please. That's how I do it. Jesus' response is, you hypocrites! Right? That's how he starts. You hypocrites! Are you kidding me? He says, Anyone sitting in here 
on the Sabbath day, if your donkey was hungry and it was tied up, you would untie that donkey and you'd lead it to some water so it could drink. And this woman here has been tied up by Satan for 18 years. Isn't this the very day, the Sabbath day, when she should be unbound from what bound her? Jesus isn't saying, pretty please, can we make a little exception? Jesus is saying, this is what this day is all about. You come to me and talking about honoring the Sabbath day and keeping it holy. When we unbound people from what has bound them, that is keeping the Sabbath holy. That is honoring the Sabbath. That is what this day is all about. So we're told the people there were humiliated. I don't think they were humiliated because they lost an argument. I think they were humiliated because they were confronted with their own sin and their own shortcoming in that moment. They realized, oh my gosh, we are not being the people that we are called to be. I think sometimes we could use a little bit of that humiliation too. That we need to be confronted with that moment too because far too often we let keeping order get in the way of being kind, of showing grace, of showing mercy. Jesus isn't just saying every once in a while you should bend the rules and then go back to the way you were doing it before. Jesus is saying you should be permanently distracted by the people that need something in the midst of your congregation. You should be permanently distracted. Imagine what Jesus would say if he, if he saw that, that 12-year-old little boy with cerebral palsy being, being, uh, being led out of the service. In Jesus' way of thinking, if this service doesn't exist to serve this little boy, then why have a service at all? That's what we're supposed to be all about on this day of all days. Most of us don't mind a temporary distraction. Right? I, I, when, I, when I was a youth pastor, every year we'd do Youth Sunday. And, uh, and we'd say, no choir, no organs this Sunday. Um, the youth are going to come in with their electric guitars and their drums. And, and, and they're going to play the music. No preacher this Sunday. Um, the youth are going to do skits and give testimonies. Everyone loves it. And they, they pinch the kids on the cheek. You did such a good job. And... But that's because they know next week everything's going back to normal. Right? Imagine if I'd come in and said, from here on out, no organs. From here on out, no choirs. From here on out, no preachers. We need to reach the youth of this community, and so the youth are going to be charged every Sunday from here on out. Well, they'd throw a fit. If I came in and announced, next Sunday we're not meeting here, we're going to go down to uh, the, uh, the, the local trailer park and we're going to have church. Some of you probably be excited. 
be talking to me after church. We, could, we should make t-shirts, right? This is a good idea. We, we've been needing to do something like this. But if I came in and said, we're closing the building, we're selling it, and every Sunday from here on out, we're going to be at the trailer park, well, I think you all might have alternative ideas for what I could do from here on out, right? (laughs) See, we're okay with the temporary distraction, but the permanent distraction the, 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 the one that changes us forever. Uh, the, you know, that, that we don't like. That we don't want to hear. The, the one that actually forces us to change the way we do things. That is not what we're about. But Jesus is calling us to be permanently distracted by the people in our community and in our congregation that need us, that have bent, been bent over by the world and need to come somewhere where they can just learn to stand up a little straighter. They've, they've been bound by, by, by addiction, by oppression, and they need someone that's going to untie those, the, uh, loose those bindings for them. And they don't need us to plan one Sunday out of the year to do it. They need us to make that our central focus and our central mission, a central part of who we are. Because you don't need me to tell you the church in the United States of America not doing so hot. People aren't um, just running off the street to Uh, Come be part of our local congregations. Uh, Just about every denomination um, is seeing decline here in the U.S. And the United Methodist Church, no different. Think about 1.6% every year our attendance drops. That's in the U.S. Globally, the United Methodist Church is growing every year. At the last general conference, not this mess a couple of weeks ago, but the, but the last one before that, um, we, uh, we passed a 12.5 million mark Methodists around the world. The church is growing. Why is that? Not because we're so special, but because in Africa and in Latin America and in Asia, people are picking up the slack. While we're burying more people than we're baptizing, They're baptizing way more people than they're burying. And we often go on service trips over there to help them out. And and that's a great thing because we have financial resources and all of that. But I always think, you know, we need some Latin American missionaries to come here and show us how they do things because they figured something out. I remember talking uh, on one of my trips to El Salvador to... uh, the, uh, the, the president of the Methodist Church in El Salvador, a man named Juan de Dios. And I said, why is, why is the Methodist Church in El Salvador growing so much? And he says, I'll tell you why. Because the Methodist Church here is known as the church that cares about people. And that's true. Like, um, uh, there's, there's one church that, that, that I visited that didn't have a building yet. 
Um, it was meeting on a front porch. And the guy whose front porch they were meeting on wasn't even a Methodist. He was Catholic. But he knew that having a Methodist church in his neighborhood was going to be a good thing for his neighborhood. He knew that if there was a Methodist church there, then that was going to come with, with medical clinics. And that was going to come with activities for the kids and, 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 and free clothing and, and, and meals and job training for the, for the people in the neighborhood. And so he said, you need a place to meet? Meet on my porch. Because the Methodist church in Africa and in Asia and in Latin America is growing because it's known as the church that helps people. Not just one Sunday out of the year, not as a, a, a special love offering, but it's central to who they are and what they do. They're the church that cares about people. The only, uh, the only conference in the, Uni in the United States United Methodist Church that is growing is the Redbird Missionary Conference in, um, in Eastern Kentucky because that's a conference where caring about people is central to what they do. They open schools. They um, provide medical clinics. They uh, provide meals for people that don't have meals. Caring about people is central to who they are. And so they grow. See, often we talk about this issue of, of the decline of the church and, and people say the same thing. We get to talking about it. Well, people used to go to church because it used, it used to be a value to people. They'll say, you know, when, when I was growing up, my mama made sure I went to church. Now parents just don't do that. You know, people just don't care about church the way they used to. Sure, you've heard that excuse. I've used it. But I wonder if it's the church, that the people don't care about church the way they used to, or if we've got it backwards. Is it that church doesn't care about people the way it used to? I wonder if this church were known as the church that helps people. If, 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 we, could, if, if we could beat people off with a stick to keep them from coming here if they knew their lives would be better because they sat with us for an hour on Sunday morning, that they would leave here standing just a little bit taller, just a little bit freer from the things that once bound them because they spent time with us. I wonder what would happen if we were truly the church that cares about people. Imagine. So I've got a new rule for us. I even took the time to laminate it. Be the church that cares about people. I'm going to hang this up. I want you to look at it. I want you to think about it. And I don't want you to leave here until you put it into practice. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.